There are many words that could be used to describe who I am. No comments, please. But one that will never be used to describe me is a horticulturalist, or not even a botanist. In fact, I don't even think you could refer to me as an amateur gardener. The extent of my work outside in the yard and in, in, you know, among our landscaping usually consists of cutting things that are growing too fast. That's, that's pretty much all I do when it comes to gardening and, and the like. I, I, I do not hope that things will grow and reproduce. I want them to die so I don't have to cut them again, you know? Um, I'm looking forward to the next few months when I don't have to mow uh, quite as much. But case in point, um, I trimmed a shrub in my uh, front yard uh, this past week. And this particular bush in my front yard, I don't know what kind of species it is, um, but simply put, it grows entirely too fast. I mean, just all the time, it is growing too fast. You see, a little over a month ago, I took this bush from, it was about seven or eight feet, and I scalped it down to four feet. I mean, I scalped it so much that if you were to lean over and look down in it, there were no leaves on the top. You could look straight down to the ground. It was ugly from the top, but it looked so much better from the front, and so I was happy with it. I got this bush back under control. Now, fast forward four to five weeks. In just over a month, that bush had grown from four feet tall to over 10 feet tall. In a month, it was taller than the roof of my house where it was. And I, I you know, well, this past week when I went outside to cut things and kill things, also known as mowing and weed eating, um, I started trimming the bush again, and about 20 minutes later, this is what was left of the bush. Uh, and if I must say so, it looks fabulous now. Um, uh, somebody asked me, why didn't you cut the bush? I said, don't worry, it'll come back. <laughs> I can't kill the thing. So um, anyway, well, about 10 years ago, my dad and I were uh, out in his front yard and we were talking to one of his neighbors at the time, and we, we you know, found out that, well, this guy works for the U.S. Forestry Department, and so found out from him that he told us he could get us some white oak saplings, all right, some, some little trees to plant, um, you know, there on Dad's property. And, you know, Dad was, of course, yes, I'd love to have them. Um, I was a little less uh, excited about it because I knew who was going to be the one planting them, and that would have been me, and it, as it turned out, it was me. Well, um, you know, when I was thinking about planting all these trees, Dad said, yeah, I'll take 25. I, like, what? <laughs> uh, I didn't know what all was going to be involved. Fortunately, the saplings were, you know, 20, 20 to 30 inches tall each. I mean, little bitty sticks that kind of had a hint or an inkling of a, a root on the bottom of them. So it was very easy uh, to plant them. You just kind of move the dirt to one side, put them down, let the dirt fall back. And so it was, it was pretty easy. And so um, anyway, 
uh, as we were uh, working on this, um, we were very meticulous. Well, let me rephrase. My father required us to be very meticulous about where we were going to plant these. Um, you know, we researched how far apart they needed to be in order to reach their full uh, potential and, and, you know, all of this stuff. And then I asked my dad, I said, Dad, I'm, I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just wondering, why are you being so careful about where these trees are planted? And, you know, I was expecting some sort of scientific reason behind it. And instead, Dad said, well, I want to be able to mow in straight lines. <laughs> and I was like... Okay, that, that makes sense. You know, he's an accountant. He likes columns, right? Um, so here's a satellite image of my parents' property. And the area that's circled there are the saplings that we printed. This is obviously several years later. Um, so we started out by laying out parallel lines that were 16 feet apart. And then we staggered the trees on each line so it would make a grid. You know, and looking at the satellite image today, I can tell you that it's not perfectly square. But you know what? My dad and I did pretty good for having two tape measures and a ball of string. So, you know, um, we, we laid them out. And um, the interesting thing is, is what was the final result of our tree planting efforts? Well, if you zoom in on this uh, bit of property a little more, you can, you can see more clearly how some of the trees have grown and some have not. There are some interesting things that I notice here. First of all, all of these saplings were the same type of tree. They were same species, same size, planted in exactly the same way. And yet, there's a huge discrepancy in the growth of the individual trees, whether that's from the diameter of their trunk at this point in time or the height and the volume of the crown of the tree, it, there's a huge difference. You see, some of the smaller trees have only grown to be 8 to, to 10 feet tall, whereas some of the other trees have grown to over 40 feet tall. And to put that into perspective, the ceiling here is about 26 feet. I mean, some of them have grown tremendously in these last 10 years. Another curious thing that I notice is that there is an entire row of saplings along the western edge of that grove that did not make it at all. They're dead. They, I, they're gone. Um, and so, you know, realizing that we planted 25 if you start counting those, which some of you I'm sure probably already have, there are actually only 16 of the 25 that made it. So it begs the question, why did some of these trees grow so much while others struggled and several others did not make it whatsoever? Well, Professor Kelly Feehan from the University of Nebraska in Lincoln uh, addressed this issue in an article on their school's website, and she said this. She said, it would be nice if we could x-ray trees and see what is happening inside the trunk and with the root systems. Instead, we have to observe, ask questions, and make educated guesses. <laughs> I was like, okay, you're a professor. That's awesome. <laughs> 
Um, so as I read through the article that she wrote about this, the one thing became very apparent about it, and that was that it all had to do with the root system. The growth of the tree had everything to do with the root system, maybe the soil around the roots or the way that the roots had grown in, you know, when they were being cultivated or, or whatever. It had everything to do with the root system. Well, today we're going to continue our sermon series on the topic of anger. And our sermon this mor morning is entitled, Anger, Addressing the Root Issues. Addressing the Root Issues. You know, in your group studies this last week, if you uh, participate in one of our community groups, you discussed some of the triggers uh, that cause you to get angry. Uh, if your group was like ours, the list of potential triggers is a long one. But rather than addressing uh, things that are triggers for anger this morning, I really want us to focus in more on the root issues behind those triggers. You see, there's a reason that people talk about getting to the, the root of the problem or dealing with root issues. It's because the root has so much impact on the fruit. Well, last week we looked at passages from all over the Bible, um, 20 passages in fact. I don't know that I have I've had that many sermon texts since my very first sermon back in 1990, uh, which you would have loved that sermon. I think it had 17 sermon you know, passages or texts that I read, and it was 15 minutes long. Um, I figured I couldn't go wrong if I read the Bible, right? So that's not the case anymore. It's usually a bit longer than that. But we looked at a lot of different verses last week. Well, this morning and next Sunday morning, we're going to focus in on some of those same verses that we looked at last week, but maybe spend a little more time exploring those. I'll look at several passages today, and then, uh, Lord willing, I'm going to just look at a couple uh, next week. But I want us to focus this morning by looking in the book of James. And so if you have your Bible, and, uh, I invite you to turn to James chapter 1. We'll be reading a couple of verses from James chapter 1. Here in the first chapter of James, we discover that the end result of a life filled with anger is not producing the righteousness of God. Notice what the Bible says in James 1.19 says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You see, here in this letter written by James to the Jewish followers of Christ, he warns them about the effects of a life characterized by anger. He says if your life is characterized by anger and being quick-tempered, then you will not 
become righteous as God wants you to become righteous. You will not be conformed to the image of Christ as Christ wants you to be conformed to his image. So if we know the effect, I want us to look for a few minutes to consider some of the causes of that anger. Because cause and effect go together, right? So if the effect is a life of anger leads to unrighteous life, then what are the causes behind that? And as we look at these, I want us to remember what we talked about last week, and that is anger is not inherently evil. Anger is not intrinsically sinful. What matters is what do we do with our anger? When we are angry, are we able, as Ephesians 4.26 tells us, to be angry and not sin? And so let's look for a minute at some causes of anger. You know, there are many things that may cause someone to be angry. And I think it's important for us to categorize uh, some of these things to help us to learn how we should deal with them. Uh, the first category that I want us to think about this morning is something that I honestly feel out of my depth. I don't feel qualified to talk about, and that is psychiatric and neurological disorders. They are a real thing, and they contribute to anger issues. You see, psychiatric and neurological orders are two distinct categories of medical conditions, but they share a common thread that binds them together. Neurological disorders are diseases associated with the functioning of the nervous system. Uh, for example, I have a neurological disorder. I don't know if you knew that, but you probably suspected it, right? Uh, one neurological disorder is the fact that my, the synapses in my brain don't fire exactly the way they're supposed to. And you know what they call that? Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Uh, mine doesn't manifest itself as hyperactive so much, but my brain is definitely hyperactive. And it jumps from one place to the next to the next all the time. That's a neurological disorder because it's dealing with my nervous system. Other uh, examples of neurological disorders would include things like epilepsy and myelitis or even Alzheimer's disease. These are all neurological disorders. And these can be difficult to diagnose and they're difficult to treat. But there are a variety of ways to help, including such things as medication, rehabilitation, and psychological help. So that's a neurological disorder. But when it comes to mental disorders or psychiatric disorders, those are illnesses that change how a person feels, how they think, how they behave, how they relate to the world around them. And some of these mental disorders that would be included in this are, are various illnesses, such as depression or Parkinson's disease, schizophrenia or autism, anxiety, others. And, you know, the, that's, a, that's a wide spectrum of, of things when, you, when you're putting those things together. They are, they are very disparate in their nature. But psychiatric disorders can be severe and they do need medical uh, attention, um, often need medical attention. The key difference between these two, you know, the psychiatric disorders and the, the neurological dis disorders, um, the key difference between these two is that psychiatric disorders appear because 
of a combination of genetic, environmental, and social fa factors. Whereas neurological disorders are typically uh, some sort of functional abnormality. There's something wrong in the, in the nervous system, in the brain. Um, now, as I said before, I'm not qualified to address neurological abnormalities. And many of the mental disorders that we talked about here really require professional help as well. And so I want to encourage you, if you struggle with some of these areas, consult your family doctor. If you have symptoms of neurological disorders or mental illness, or if you know someone who struggles with symptoms of neurological disorders or mental illness, then I want to encourage you to encourage them or you go and see a doctor. But I think it's important for us to address some of these other causes for anger this morning. I just wanted to take this moment and talk about those because I want you to realize that I'm not trying to gloss over anything that you might be walking through, okay? If you're struggling with some of these areas, there are other avenues of help that require a medical, uh, a medical solution for them. But let's look at some of these other causes for anger that are more rooted in spiritual disorders or behavioral concerns, all right? So spiritual and behavioral issues can also contribute to anger. Charles Stanley did a, a series on anger many years ago, and one of his uh, sermons was called Roots of Anger. And his list included things such as blame, shame, pride, insecurity, unfulfilled dreams, lies, cover-ups, chemical addictions, hatred, bitterness, worry, confusion, stress, resentment, fear, and sorrow. I'm not going to try to talk about all those this morning. Uh, but I do want to encourage you, if you're looking at our Uversion interactive study notes, there's a, a Bible study or a Bible reading plan link in the interactive notes for an eight-day reading plan to talk, you know, walk you through some of those roots of angers. And so I want to encourage you, if you want a different perspective on this issue of roots of anger, you could read through that Bible reading plan by Dr. Stanley this week. You can sign up through that through the Uversion app. So moving beyond the psychiatric and the neurological disorders that require doctor's treatment, I believe that there are three big issues that are prevalent in the lives of many that are often the cause of anger. And those three areas, I believe, include grief, depression, and addictions. And I want to address those three areas for just a moment this morning. But before I do that, I want to address another aspect of this issue. You may have heard it said, the first step in solving a problem is recognizing that there is one. Well, I think we need to understand that sometimes we don't recognize the fact that we have an anger issue. We don't recognize that we struggle with these anger issues. And so I want us to look for a moment at some red flags that you might have that would let you know that you have 
an issue with the, in the area of anger. You know, it's essential in order to see red flags in our lives to see ourselves from another person's perspective. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 21, he said, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Have you thought about that? I mean, the way we act, we do so because we think it's the right thing to do. But he goes on and he says, but the Lord weighs the heart. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Folks, too often we are blinded to our own problems because we think we're right. We're, we're trusting in what we think rather than trusting in what God says. Do you remember what Jeremiah 17 tells us about that? Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, and I could quote 9, but I want to read 10, so I'm turning to it. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. What's the problem with trusting our heart or trusting our gut? The heart is desperately wicked. When we trust our gut more than we trust the Lord, we will be led astray because we're trusting in ourselves. How many of you would consider Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 your life verse? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean unto your own understandings. We've got to trust in God. Well, the solution to this dilemma is what is referred to as self-awareness. Um, self-awareness is the ability to look inward, to think deeply about uh, your behavior and to see how does my behavior align with what I believe, my moral standards, my values. How am I living a life that matches what I say I believe? Self-awareness is one of the most important elements of emotional intelligence. Uh, a pastor named Pete Scazzaro, or Peter Scazzaro, writes a lot about this idea of emotional intelligence or being emotionally healthy. And he provides us some insight about self-awareness from a biblical perspective. He said, he said that he believes that emotional deficits are primarily manifested by a lack of self-awareness. What does that mean? When you're talking about um, emotional deficits, that, that means when you're, when you're not functioning well emotionally. When you're re overreacting in anger, when you have anger outburst and whatever, that's an emotional deficit. And he's saying that the cause behind that is a lack of self-awareness. He wrote this, he said, emotionally unhealthy leaders tend to be unaware of what's going on inside of them. And even when they recognize a strong emotion such as anger, they fail to process or express it honestly 
and appropriately. When we don't know what's going on inside of us, then we can't be in control of what comes out of us. So how can I know if I'm an emotionally healthy or a self-aware person? Well, consider these hypothetical situations. Take for a moment, listen to these things, and, and see if you would answer yes or no to these questions. Do you have serious arguments with loved ones sometimes for no reason? Yes or no? Do you sometimes feel regret about how you express your anger? Sometimes do you fly off the handle quickly? Do you keep it to yourself when you get angry? Or have you had any trouble on your job because of your temper? Or finally, when you get frustrated, do you struggle to put that frustration out of your mind? Well, these are a few statements off of an anger assessment tool on the website Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, okay? There's a link to that assessment if you want to take the full assessment, I encourage you to do so. But here's the deal, folks. If you answered yes to more than one of those questions, you most likely have an issue with anger. If you answered yes to more than one, you most likely have an issue with anger. I would encourage all of you, if you can, to, to go and uh, take that anger assessment for couples and singles that was created by Gary Chapman. And if you don't use the Uversion Interactive Notes, I can give you a link uh, to that. And you know what? You may not want to go to the trouble of taking, um, taking this quiz online, uh, or maybe you don't have the ability to do so or whatever. I, I get that. Um, but would you at least take the time and ask someone who knows you well, a trusted friend, and just say, hey, uh, am I a person who can get quickly, or can get angry quickly? They'll tell you the truth if they're a good friend. Sometimes we lack the self-awareness to see these red flags. It's in those times that we need to remember what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, when he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. And see, try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to ask God to help us see ourselves the way others see us. Well, let's move on. Let's look next at dealing with three causes of anger. Dealing with three causes of anger. You know, there are three underlying or root uh, causes to anger that are prevalent today, and I mentioned these earlier. They are grief, depression, and addictions. And I want to deal with each of the, these very quickly. Uh, this is by no means an exhaustive or comprehensive dealing of these subjects, but I want to at least introduce you to this may be an area you need to explore. First is grief. Grief is an intense emotional suffering caused by personal loss. Some experts talk about grief as a cycle. Some experts talk about grief as having stages. 
In Grief Share, you learn that grief is a process. It's a process uh, uh, that is a series of actions and gradual changes that one progresses through. So in other words, the grieving process involves forward movement, going from one emotion, one level, one day to the next, to the next. It's not something that you get through quickly. And, you know, they talk about the stages of grief and whatever. And, you know, you might think, oh, great, I've gotten to stage six. And then all of a sudden you get angry again. And he's like, oh, no, I'm back at stage four. That's why it's not really stages. It's a process. And you're going to hit all of those different things at different times and go back and forth and deal with it. The key is when you're grieving, you just got to keep moving forward day by day. And you know what? Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. I doubt that there's anyone in here that has not been touched in some way by losing someone that meant something special to you. It's hard. But we've got to just continue to grieve and move forward. You see, grief that is good, good grief, not to be the good grief, exclamation but grief that is good involves identifying the loss recognizing the grieving process and accepting that life is never going to be the same ever again but i am choosing to continue to move forward in this journey that's what grief that is good looks like bad grief is when a person gets stuck in the process and they refuse to let that person go. Folks, that is a petri dish for growing discontent and anger. If you or someone you love is struggling with the overwhelming emotions of grief, please do something about it. There are lots of things that you can do. Um... In, in the last several years, as Joanna and I have walked through episodes of grief, um, we've discovered some amazing books that maybe if you're a reader, maybe that's the, the best option for you. Um, talk to her. She can give them to you. She, she'll give you a great list of things. Um, I can give you some as well, but read a book. Go to Grief Share. I don't know if you're familiar with Grief Share. It's a ministry that's been around for about 25 years or so. And they, they meet for 13 weeks in a row. And they help you process the loss of your loved one. There are churches all around in this area. I can hook you up with a Grief Share group. I encourage you to think about doing that. Or see a counselor. Or whatever you need to do. The key here is if you don't continue to move forward in your grief, your life will become a cesspool for anger. In Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord says, or the psalmist says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves 
the crushed in spirit. God wants to help you through your grief. And if you don't allow him to help you, it will manifest itself as anger in your life. I told you this was going to be a cursory look at these. Let's move on to depression. Isn't this uplifting this morning? Let's move on. Um, one of my counseling books states this. It says, depression is possibly responsible for more pain and distress than any other affliction of mankind. It is difficult to define, it's difficult to describe its symptoms, and it is difficult to treat. It is characterized by feelings of hopelessness, inadequacy, gloominess, dejection, sadness, Difficult in thinking and concentration, and it's characterized by inactivity. Depressed persons have a negative self-image, which is often accompanied by feelings of guilt, shame, and self-criticism. I really don't have to describe to you, probably, what it feels like to be depressed. My guess is, is that all of us at one point in time have dealt with depression to one degree or another. But especially when those feelings of hopelessness and inadequacy and dejection, when those persist and days become weeks and weeks become months, folks, you need to do something about it. So if you or someone you love is struggling with the overwhelming emotions of depression, do something. You know, one of the simplest things that you can do to help fight against, I'm not going to tell you it's going to cure your depression, okay? But to help you fight against depression is keeping a gratitude journal. Every day, writing down what you are thankful for and coming up with five or six things every single day that you can truly thank God for doing that. And you know what? If you can do that, that process will change your thinking and help you to be more thankful, more, more filled with gratitude rather than hopelessness. And it will make a difference. So keep a gratitude journal. <laughs> Another thing you could do is just start exercising. When you exercise, the endorphins that you know, go into your system, those hormones, give you more energy. They make you happier. Get up off the couch and do something. Spend time with people. You say, I don't like people. <laughs> well, I get it. There are people who don't like people. I understand that. But everybody needs people. That may not be what fills you up, OK? That may not be the thing that replenishes you. I love to be with people. Um, my wife, not so much. She loves you people, by the way, just so you know. But um, she loves being alone, too. And that includes me not being around, just so don't feel bad. Um, you know, so we have different kinds of people, extroverts, introverts. But every introvert still needs people in their lives. No man is an island, that's what the poet said or whoever it was that said that. But the scripture tells us that we need one another. The New Testament has like 
80 plus statements about what we ought to do for one another, folks. We need one another. So prioritize social interaction. And frankly, when we're depressed, depression is a lack of faith in God. That's very simplistic, and I'm not saying that just trusting God more will fix all your problems. That's not where I'm going. But folks, learning to trust God more will help. John 16, 33. Do you remember what, uh, what Jesus said there in John 16, 33? He says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, or the King James says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The last of these causes that I want us to consider this morning are addictions. Addictions come in all different forms. These may be addictions to alcohol or drugs. Um, these could be addictions to pornography or sex. They could be addictions to gambling. They could be addictions to smoking. They could be addictions to vaping. They could be addictions to eating or caffeinating. Or even to exercising. Whoa, Brother Wade, you just said exercise was good. Yeah. But if it becomes addictive, then it can flip the switch. Social media can be an addiction. Video games can be addiction. Watching reels can be an addiction. And if you don't know what that is, don't try to find out. Because it's a black hole. Um... You look up and three hours has gone by and where did that go? I have nothing to show for it. Folks, all of these things can be addictions. So what is an addiction? Well, an addiction is any compulsive need for a particular substance or a particular thing or a particular activity. It is a compulsive need. And for it to be considered an addiction, these four things must be present. Compulsion, craving, consequence, and control. Like I said, eating's not a bad thing. But compulsive eating? It is. Drinking coffee is not a bad thing. But compulsive caffeinating? Can be. And that goes for tea, too. So you don't have to tell me that. I know it does. Um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, in the New Living Translation says this. And I read it from this because it, it just gives us a little different perspective. Because you, you will recognize this verse. It says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Now the King James and the ESV talk about the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. But here it says, the world offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and our possessions. Those 
things do not come from the Father. They come from this world. And when a person's life is incessantly focused on that substance, on that thing, on that activity, then they become angry when they are not pacifying their cravings for pleasure. And if you don't believe me, I give you one word as an illustration. Hangry. You've met the person that's a hangry person. You don't want to get in their way when they're hungry. Folks, our addictions and our inability to truly be satisfied. And by the way, there is no addiction in the world that brings complete satisfaction. Nothing we try to fill those voids with brings satisfaction. It just causes us to, to crave it more. There's no addiction in the world that provides that satisfaction. Only a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and focusing on Him. That's the only place we can get true satisfaction. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood here. Not everything that I've listed in this area of addictions is bad. But if we have any bad habit that we are unable to, to stop, or if we are unable to control it, then we need to call it what it is. It is an addiction. And God is the only one that we should not be able to live without. The psalmist wrote in 145 verse 19, he says, He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. We can be satisfied in the Lord. He goes on, he says, He also hears their cry and saves them. He fulfills their desires. Psalm 37 verse says, says Delight yourself. 37 verses 4 and 5 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Ephesians 4, Paul tells us, just before he tells us to be angry and do not sin, just before that, in verse 22, he says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what salvation brings to us. It is, we have become a new creation. So put on the new self and put away the old self. And be created in the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. Jesus, Jesus put it very simply in Matthew 6, 33, when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, folks, when we put off our old manner of life and when we live for Christ in true righteousness and in holiness, seeking him first, it is then that we will notice a distinct difference in the way that we respond when we become angry. 
Again, you will get angry. It will happen. You will be angry. But the question is, is can you be angry and not sin? The last thing I want us to look at this morning is diminishing uncontrolled anger through spiritual growth. Diminishing uncontrolled anger through spiritual growth. You see, as we grow and mature in our faith in Christ, there will be a corresponding decline in our outbursts of anger. I'm going to say that again because this is really important stuff here, okay? When we grow and mature in our spiritual growth, all right, in our faith in Christ, there will be a corresponding decline in our outbursts of anger. We've talked about this many times before, but it bears repeating. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, we see here what is referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Fruit of the Spirit. You see, fruit of the Spirit refers to the expected result of experiencing the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. If we trust in Christ, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God seals us and that the Spirit of God indwells us. And if the Spirit of God is living inside of us, then we should expect that He is going to transform our lives in this way. Because He lives in us, we can expect our lives to change in this way. My life should now be characterized by these Christian attributes. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. I got them out of order. And self-control. One of these days, maybe I'll memorize those in order. I don't know. But at least I'm getting all nine of them at this point. That's better than I used to do. Our life will be characteristic of these things when we grow in our faith. But you know, a lot of times we stop right there in verse 23. But would you look with me to verse 24 for just a second? It says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see, another aspect of my life becoming more like Jesus Christ is this idea of crucifying my passions and desires. Do you remember last week how we defined anger? What we said anger was? You see, anger is fueled by our passions. It's a passion that wants to write and injustice. It is a passion that wants to do something to bring about a positive change. That's, that's productive anger that we talked about last week. But it can also be a passion that is out of control. 
that's what destructive anger looks like. When we are living for Christ, when we are keeping in step with the Spirit, which, by the way, it talks about um, in the very next verse, 25. When we're, we're living for Christ and keeping in step with the Spirit, our lives will be characterized by destroying the passions and the desires of the flesh. So what is the result? The result is the fruit of the Spirit coming out in our life. The love of Christ. The joy of the Lord. The peace of God. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to close today by going back to where we started and looking again at James chapter 1. You see, in James chapter 1, James begs us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If this is true, and I absolutely, wholeheartedly believe that this is true, then the converse is also true. What do you mean? I mean this. When we are growing and maturing in the righteousness of God, then we will be quick to listen. We will be slow to speak. And we will be slow to get angry. When we are growing and maturing in the righteousness of God. So once again, it comes back to the same issue that it always comes back to. And that is that sanctification is a process. Sanctification is a process. Folks, you're not going to fix this problem today. But if you don't start working on this problem today, you'll never fix it. Little by little, day by day, as we allow the Holy Spirit of God to transform our lives, as we grow in our faith, in him as our spiritual maturity increases it's then that proportionately our anger outburst decrease so what are you doing today what are you doing in your day-to-day -day life to progress in your spiritual growth and maturity because folks if you have trusted in Christ as your savior there should be fruit. If there is no fruit, then you need to evaluate whether you've ever trusted in Christ as your Savior. Are you saying I'm not a Christian, Brother Wade? Listen to the Spirit of God convicting your heart. There is no greater question that you ever need to answer in your life than that one. If there's no fruit, then you're, there may be no faith.
I'm so very thankful that my son figured that out a couple of years ago. Because he was the good preacher's kid and made a profession of faith because he thought everybody wanted him to do that. You know what? It takes a lot of guts to step up and say, that wasn't real. But there's nothing more important than your eternal destiny and making it right with the Lord. Where is your faith? Is it real? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives in us and works in us and transforms us. I thank you for your spirit's conviction of our sin. And Father, I just pray that if there are any here this morning that have never truly trusted in you, Father, you would not let this day go by until they make things right by placing their faith in you, in your son Jesus that they yield themselves to his work in their life, allowing the Holy Spirit of God to transform them. Father, if there are people here today that have not experienced this fruit, I just pray, Father, that you would help them to see the truth in their heart. Lord, help them to pray, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there's any grievous way in me. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you